0: The Edge podcast. I'm your host, Mike Leone, back with another episode looking at best ball, specifically these wide receiver heavy draft rooms. You know, I recently had Hayden Winks on a podcast and we talked about it a little bit. And I've kind of danced around it on a lot of podcasts and content that I've done over this season, but haven't spent enough dedicated time on figuring out what to do with these rising wide receiver ADPs in some of these rooms that get super. Crazy wide receiver heavy, so I brought in Peter Overset and Dan Falkenheim to help me break this down. Uh, a lot of you are probably familiar with Peter. He did a really good video on his Deposit Kingdom YouTube channel, breaking down like ways to attack these wide receiver heavy rooms. And Peter was also, you know, teamed up with Ben Dominguez over at Fantasy Data Pros to do this cool best ball data contest and dan here won that contest by looking at wide receiver heavy draft room so we should have some good discussion here peter and dan thanks so much for joining me Mm -hmm. um yeah i guess let's get it started uh dan do you want to talk a little bit about what you did for the best ball data bowl
1: yeah of course i'm so thrilled to win um and kudos to pete Um, and Ben and Nick and Sam, the judges for running this competition. It was really great competition, a lot of really good entries. So I think the easiest framing device, a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with the ship chasing stream last year where you guys entered a puppy and you hit eighth round Josh Jacobs and it was a wide receiver heavy room. And I actually went back and looked at the draft last night and besides Josh Jacobs, the other running backs that you were considering were like Miles Sanders and Tony Pollard, who are also <laughs> extreme <laughs> running back valleys there. So maybe it wouldn't have been such like a huge hit if you took those guys versus Josh Jacobs. But that's like a really helpful framing device for this conversation, because my submission looked at what happens when there's a wide receiver run. How does a wide receiver run affect the draft board and explored some different strategies like should you take a detour? Should you be the avalanche as Pete has said in some of his videos? So to just give a quick overview overview, and you can check out if you're interested in the code and the methodology, you could check out the submission on GitHub. But basically, what I did is we needed a metric to sort of be able to describe wide receiver heaviness somehow. So what I did is I used The players that were taken in a draft had a running total of how many positions were taken. So, at pick forty, like maybe there were like twenty wide receivers taken, or something like that. And then, using ADP as a guide, I used ADP as this is how many positions would have been expected to go in a draft if it strictly followed ADP. So, basically, from there, you can just compare like if twenty wide receivers went through X number of rounds, and let's say. 16 wide receivers were expected to go. Then you have about four wide receivers who went above expectation. And then to be able to compare that at different ranges mm-hmm. across the draft, I scaled that metric so that you can really compare like how wide receiver heavy, like picks in the third round were versus picks in the seventh round. Because what you can get into is like uh there might be more wide receivers who have gone um earlier than expected in the seventh round but if you have if you're very early in the draft and let's say only two wide receivers like more than expected went that's still a pretty big difference because if you're sitting like in the middle of the first round and all of a sudden like this year like Jalen Waddell has already gone Chris Olave has already gone and maybe you get into wide receiver room where Devonta Smith has already gone like we mm-hmm. want to be able to say that like Those picks are just as wide receiver heavy as something similar that happens in the seventh round. So I used that, and then from there, just defined a wide receiver run in a pretty arbitrary process. My definition was any range of at least eight picks where those eight picks were more than one, one or more standard deviations above the mean from the amount of wide receivers that were expected to go. And within that range, more than half the picks were wide receivers. So the first so, part of so the- So any, project, any yeah, draft room that Peter does a stream was a yeah, wide Yeah, pretty main. much. <laughs> pretty much. And we can get into that with the wide receiver heaviness later on, but it was actually shockingly easy to pick out like ship chasing rooms from how <laughs> wide receiver heavy like they are, which I thought would happen, but I didn't expect it to be like one and two. But um <laughs> yeah, from there, we can sort of like, just get a feel of the draft board of what happens like when a wide receiver run is going on. And from what I saw across BBM two and BBM three is that you get anywhere from an eight to 10% premium on wide receivers. So they're going eight to 10 percentage points like higher. So what that means in real like average draft position and not percentages is it can mean anywhere from like three to six picks. And then the opposite happens with running backs where you get around an 8% discount and then quarterbacks and tight ends also see a discount, but to a little bit of a lesser extent. Um, and then yeah. from there we can, yeah.
0: Yeah. I was going to say the reason too, like why mm-hmm. this is so important, like just to, to reframe is looking historically at these wide receiver heavy draft rooms, basically the most wide receiver heavy draft rooms the past couple of years are the average draft room this year, which is why it's important <laughs> to look at this success. And we've seen the ADP, Peter change a ton um, year over year. I joked in our outline that this has actually been a long con that you've developed um, to boost this wide receiver ADP up so that you can defeat these wide receiver heavy draft rooms. Um, as we know, the ship chasing are, are drafts are really wide receiver heavy, but I think it's been like trending that way. But then last year's zero RB worked so well that it, you know, it, that people always chase what happens last year. So the combination of the long-term trend, meaning like this short term, I, I don't know if bias is the right word because like there's, you know, negative connotation with that, but there's some legitimate reasons for it um, is leading to all these rooms. You know, we've got, I come back from Italy and Amari Cooper is going 32nd overall. So, you know, Calvin Ridley's going 25th overall. So these are all wide receiver heavy rooms and they're not like as easy to combat as they seem on the surface because we know wide receivers are so skill-based. So it's important to get them early. And like, unlike running backs, like there's, it's just like a different scarcity dynamic with needing to start start three of them
2: yeah and one other thing that's also interesting about this year and even different like your your famous jump the shark moment like in those drafts we used to get extreme running back fallers and I still get running back fallers in some of my stream drafts but we're talking about like Miles Sanders 13 picks after ADP because you now get this combination of not only are drafters kind of anchored to ADP and respecting the market, but they're also just sharper drafters. They're not jumping the shark. They're now (laughs) scooping up these values and it does get into this territory. And why I loved Dan's submission as a way to quantify this of like, yes, three rounds of Josh Jacobs, ADP, like we've jumped the shark. You got to scoop that up. But it's 12 picks of Miles Sanders. Mm -hmm falling is that worth taking a detour when there is a wide receiver cliff coming you know in the next ten or so picks and that's where I think the dynamic has even been ratcheted up more is drafters aren't just going full ideological I'm only taking wide receivers they are grabbing the value too and it results in these really tough draft rooms
0: yeah and uh looking at how to attack those runs and like whether to take the uh, quote unquote detour to grab a running back during a wide receiver run. Dan kind of broke that down. So he explained like what a wide receiver run is, and then just tried to look at the last couple of seasons of best ball mania. Um, And if people who, you know, kind of took detours during those wide receiver runs, were they successful or not? Or were the people that kind of chased the wide receiver avalanche, so to speak successful. And Dan, it seemed like you found that for runs specifically, it wasn't super straightforward because the results from 2022 and 2021 Varied kind of just based on what players happen to be taken during the runs. So last year, Josh Jacobs, as an example, was a faller a lot during these runs, and players like him that had great seasons. So like as good as the wide receiver heavy teams did in 2022, the teams that deviated during the runs actually performed really well. It was kind of the opposite in 2021 where. Some of the wide receivers that went during these runs, like I'm on Ross St. Brown, were like the breakout players you needed to have. So mm-hmm. um, it seemed like there wasn't a clear cut answer as to what to do specifically if there's a wide receiver run. And it seemed like you found more clarity when looking at
1: how wide receiver heavy the draft was as a whole, as far as what to do strategically. It wasn't as clear what to do with wide receiver runs just because the data was very player focused and really dependent on which players hit in that year and also which players in those ranges like didn't work out. Because I know according to your best ball manifesto, like, teams who spent really high draft capital on wide receivers were really successful last year. And I think some of that might be reflected in the decisions to take a detour or take a wide receiver in 2022, because you had wide receivers like Adam Thielen, like Elijah Moore, like Alan Lazard, who like, weren't that helpful for your team and were wide receivers who were getting pulled up in wide receiver on some time. So going to rooms that are wide receiver heavy, I think it's important to note that what I looked at was the top 5% of drafts in both um BBM2 and BBM3 so there might be some small sample concerns and I think anyone who wants to say that like this is a small sample like that's fine but I think what the data shows and maybe is more of like a caution flag instead of like you need to draft this way is that Number one, it showed still getting to four or five wide receivers by round seven or by round nine was still a good drafting principle. We know that that's a good drafting principle from from a few years of best ball mania data. But the thing that surprised me a little bit is if you look at the best ball manifesto, if you look at some of the charts Hayden Winks has put out, drafting more wide receivers and drafting them earlier was a really effective strategy in Best Ball Mania 3. But when you look at wide receiver heavy rooms, you didn't see that same magnetic effect that you would expect going in. I thought, okay, it was good to get them earlier. It might be even more important to draft those wide receivers earlier in a wide receiver heavy room. But the data kind of put up like a little caution flag that really anywhere from three to six wide receivers in terms of just regular season scoring and in terms of just advance rates, which we can get into the playoff angle of all of this. But it seems like really, if you were at three to six, you were pretty fine in terms of advance rates. Again, four to five was good, but did seem like there could potentially be some wiggle room when we When we plan ahead and when we look at BBM four drafts and when we see how wide receiver heavy BBM four is compared to prior years,
0: yeah. So if I'm interpreting that correctly, you had kind of expected to see it might be even more important to be wide receiver heavy early in these wide receiver heavy drafts, given the Mm -hmm. overall landscape of the success wide receiver heavy teams Mm -hmm. had, but. But what you saw was that wasn't necess- it wasn't that much more important than it was in a, in a regular draft. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah,
1: exactly. That's um, kind of the takeaway I had. And again, small sample caveats and all of that. Um, but that was the main takeaway that I had and a small caution flag heading into BBM4. Yeah,
0: and I had noticed too, it seemed like you had the four to five wide receivers by round seven was like pretty optimal by advance rate. And then it kind of stayed at four to five wide receivers through round nine. So I know that's like one adjustment I'm trying to make this year is like getting a few of those wide receivers early. And that's what Hayden and I talked about the other day was getting a few of them early, but then like kind of relying on those receivers and not going like crazy. Like there's certainly rooms. If you're going to give me the values, I'll take six wide receivers out of the gate in the first seven rounds or whatever. But in the wide receiver, heavier rooms, just kind of getting, getting a few in there so that you're not like crushed by the avalanche, so to speak. But you also are able to take some of the the other values and we'll get in a little bit into some of the Peter specific strategy notes on how to combat that. But one thing I wanted to talk about with the wide receiver runs was you noted the wide receiver ADP in general returned to baseline about two rounds after a wide receiver run, which was interesting to me because I know looking at like the top, top wide receiver heavy rooms, like some of these ship chasing rooms, like we did like a draft with Eric for and spike week. And I was taking like, like it just lasted the whole draft. Um, (laughs) It seems like those drafts maybe are a little bit rarer and, And I think to Peter, to your note too, what you were saying with the landscape this year about how people aren't letting like running backs slide three rounds past value, only 12. I could see where I think it's a little easier to figure out how to combat these rooms. If you know that like eventually the wide receiver ADP is going to level off, right? It's really difficult if it never levels off. And then you're just like totally behind the eight ball. If you skimped a little bit early.
2: And that's, that's where I do think some of those soft skills of one reading your room. And there's some things you can actually do looking at the badges, the familiar names, like the badges is a pretty good proxy for for how a room is going to go. Um, Also, knowing the ADPs like inside and out, like in knowing, Hey, right now, Traylon Burks is falling in drafts because of this injury scare. I still like his late season upside. He fits into what I'm trying to do. Oh, this allows me to maybe grab that running back in the fifth six, because I know I have a Bateman or a Traylon Burks. So I think there's those intricacies that can help you navigate the wide receiver avalanche. And I do really think that's the way you can, really build strong teams in this room. Because if you're doing anything rigid, being like, I'm just going to take six wide receivers to start because I don't want to get buried by the avalanche. You're probably passing up on some really good picks and you're doing it because you don't want to think more critically about the overall board, the room and the ADP dynamics.
0: You also might end up taking... Some of the, you know, you mentioned some players, Dan, like Adam Thielen, Alan Lazard, like players who maybe aren't like the best archetype to get pushed way up a board, like fine if they're, they're at ADP, but you start, like if you're taking wide receivers to take wide receivers, it reminds me of something. I listened to Sean Siegel and Ben Gretch on Stealing Bananas the other day, and they do their podcast where they project like next year's first round. But Siegel was saying like with the wide receiver heavy ADP, there's a lot of wide receivers now that are getting taken at their ceiling, basically. And uh, I joked about Amari Cooper. Like, that That feels to me like, we're, you know, ADP of 32. Like, I that, that could fall way off, and that's being at his ceiling. So, like, being selective, too, and not just blindly taking, you know, the wide receivers. Um, let's talk a little bit more about your video, Peter. Uh, I thought it was interesting, too. And, again, you can check this out on the Deposit Kingdom YouTube channel that Peter has. Mm-hmm. The sort of like intro to it, uh, the, the Josh Jacobs jumped the shark kind of made it, made it into the intro clip. It was also funny to me that there was uh, a clip of you guys kind of talking about how like eventually what is happening is going to happen, um, which is really cool to kind of see in, in, high, in you know retrospect that you guys sort of called that like eventually drafters are going to get sharper. but during that, Corine kind of makes a joke of like oh, you mean eventually people will start drafting the players that score the most points earlier? And we've kind of gone so far sometimes with the current landscape where some wide receivers that are definitely, I think, like objectively projected for less than running backs. Like you look at like, I don't know, say like Chris Olave versus Tony Pollard. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, your your seedings, you're not taking if you're taking olave over pollard it's not because of raw points necessarily there's still some running back wide receiver dynamics in terms of bust rates but there is some like initial stuff like going back to like zero rb which you outlined in the video kind of like the point of it to begin with where like part of zero rb was like you don't want to like make worse versions of the best teams right like these teams that draft cmc one and these awesome running backs then you at the end of the draft just go running back, running back with worse running backs. <laughs> then you get these teams that have better running backs, the best wide receivers. And not like, to me, it feels like at times, like the opposite could, could be happening to an extent, but because of the scarcity of wide receiver and it being more skill-based, it's not like as obvious as a pivot as it is at running back. So I don't know that that whole dynamic is just kind of interesting to me.
2: Yeah, it is. And I think a similar parallel or an extreme way to think about it is for anyone who's done super flex drafts, right? Where... You you might say, like, I'm sorry, I'm not taking Mike White because he's the best available quarterback and I need one, like, over Jahan Dotson. Like, you know, but you might say, like, I literally need bodies. Like, I, this team is dead if I don't have a few quarterbacks here. And so there is that element of, like, individual picks in a vacuum and how they project versus putting together a roster within a room where you know the room will punish you maybe in the super flex example if you keep passing on qbs or in a ship chasing draft where you keep passing on wide receivers and that's where it comes back to the context again right because if you always just select uh the best median projection player or even like the best upside player like it doesn't account for the overall dynamics of you are building a team a roster not making individual picks in a vacuum
0: yeah you have to be somewhat tethered to the market like whether you're right or wrong at some point is like immaterial. Like if you're, if you're not somewhat tethered to the market, like you're going to get screwed. And the QB example is a good one where like, if the QB values were just like way overvalued by your league, but you didn't end up with any in a super flex league, like you can't win, you know, or you could like right. be, be on your theoretical moral high horse, but you're not going to win. So um, that's definitely... A really good point. Uh I had something else, but now it's slipped my mind. But let's um get into some of the tactics that you looked at as far as beating these rooms, Peter. One is to be the avalanche, um, which is like a zero RB strategy without going like overly heavy on wide receiver because you also take elite quarterback, elite tight end. And you had looked, I think historically these rated really well, but were kind of underutilized. So um that that's definitely an interesting concept where you can still get the dropping running back values later, right? To fill out yeah. the zero RB team.
2: And what what was interesting to me is this: and it feels like a paradox, right? Because we say the wide receiver rooms are heavier than they've ever been. Like Dad's data has very clearly proven that, and yet you don't actually see a ton of true zero RB builds. And I mainly attribute that to the third round of drafts right now, which is actually a pretty gross range for wide receivers. And you have drafters are saying the elite quarterbacks are here. We had all of this running back value. Your Brees Halls, your Ramondres, your JT was there for a bit. You have a guy like Mark Andrews. And so you have all these options and people are like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm not reaching to take, you know, Terry McLaurin or even Keenan Allen like over these better picks who just project better. And so, what I noticed is that even though teams would still have four or five wide receivers through seven rounds, they weren't true zero RB builds, which we can, you know, quibble about if that matters. You know, Leone's manifesto has shown like the way you allocate the draft capital is more important than like where you specifically take those. But I did think it was interesting of like, Not only would you maybe be acknowledging, hey, this is a flat tier of wide receivers here you're probably getting some unique combinations as well. If you are willing to be like every other drafter is going chase and then a and then grabbing one of the running backs here, like every time. And so I do think I had to kind of force myself out of an autopilot of like, clearly the running back is the best pick here, but structurally I want to make sure I still have some zero RB builds. And like you said, the elite quarterback and elite tight end can really supercharge those builds. It's just interesting that despite loving wide receivers, you actively have to force yourself to pass on some of those other positional values.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, The second one you looked at was punt quarterback and punt tight end, uh, which allows you to, again, not get buried by the avalanche because you're not going to lose wide receiver strength while still being able to get a couple of those running back Mm -hmm. values that might've been going in like round one before, you know, like a a mid late second round Tony Pollard on that sort of thing. Um and, and another thing we talked about with Hayden was in the current structure, too, it seems like tight end values the last few rounds really seem to be some of the best picks in the later rounds because they're like legitimate starters. And it is a position where you can take advantage of the volatility of the best ball scoring a bit more, where it's like Pat Fryermuth might be in a managed league way better than a collection of these late-round tight ends, but in best ball scoring you get Luke Musgrave late, you get Jake Ferguson late, you get Hunter Henry late, that combination. Mm -hmm. You could score alongside Pat Fryermuth while having built a much better team. Not that Fryermuth goes that early, but just the general idea is that you you can kind of cobble together tight end a bit more. And with people spending more capital on QB early, that's going to open up some avenues for these late-round quarterback teams to be a bit better than they have been in the past.
2: Yeah. And that's another kind of, I think, macro trend for drafts this year. That's unique to this ADP landscape. And You know I think it's a combination of the few things that you hit on we also have one of the best rookie tight end classes that we've seen in a long time we saw some rookie tight ends really come on late last year and we have a bunch of these guys you mentioned Musgrave these guys are all readily available there's true starting tight ends guys like Hunter Henry Jake Ferguson that have like very little competition that are all available and you compare that to some of the wide receivers and running backs you're having to take in that range and you're like this guy might be the wide receiver five on his team this guy might be the running back three on his team I don't even know if he's going to get a touch. Whereas I have quarterbacks like Desmond Ritter. He is going to be the quarterback week one. There's tight ends, you know, who are going to be out there. And so it does in that sense. It's like, why don't I load up on the sure things, the running backs and the wide receivers to the first 10, and I can go three tight ends, four tight ends. Uh, If you're Dan Zach, five tight ends, grab three quarterbacks (laughs) and basically have the second half of your draft be just robust onesies. And I don't think you're actually sacrificing that much.
0: Yeah, that that plays into the best ball manifesto, too, where I looked at, like, avoiding having, like, dead players on your roster and, like, how impactful that is. Like, a lot of that is luck, but some of that is taking players late who are – you have a little bit higher confidence are actually going to see the field versus these guys that are just complete, complete dart throws. So you can structurally take advantage of that. Um, Dan, too, feel free to jump in if anything sticks out to you, like, relative to your uh, – research that you did or anything that you're doing strategically to do these drafts. But I know, um, Peter, your third one was like, you did three tactics in this video. And the third one was really interesting to me because I I thought it was like a really creative, unique way to think about it when you looked at specifically taking advantage of a couple of teams. Why don't you talk us through the third tactic?
2: Yeah. So the third tactic was player specific and team specific. And, you know, I try to, for those videos, I try to make them more evergreen, but I do think there's a couple teams out there that because of ambiguity, and we're kind of used to seeing this with running back rooms, you know, we've talked a lot this off about the dolphins, the saints, the bears, because the market doesn't know how to properly, you know, project and assign this volume. Everyone just kind of shrugs their shoulders and says, we'll take them all in the double digit rounds and just figure it out. Normally that doesn't happen as much with wide receiver because we know how much talent drives wide receiver production. And there's generally kind of clear pecking orders. But when I looked at the giants and the chiefs, these are two wide receiver rooms where the market has like no clue what to do with them. So much so that I've been joking that the Darren Waller ADP is not like a a hurrah for Darren Waller and more an indictment of, we don't want to deal with any of these wide receivers. So we'll just take Darren Waller. And coincidentally, that's what happens with the chiefs too, right? Travis Kelsey goes in round one. And now that you have Tony, who is the only other guy going kind of relatively early, Everyone just saying, I have no clue. And so I want to lean into that. These guys like outside of Sky Moore, every one of those pass catching options is going in the double digit rounds. And this allows you to say, Hey, if I have a Patrick Mahomes or a Daniel Jones, I know that the way I win these tournaments is building out correlation, really having guys beat out their ADPs. These wide receiver rooms give you avenues to that at really cheap prices. That stacking and correlation we know we need. So you can hammer other positions and say, I only have four wide receivers through round eight. All of a sudden, Daniel Jones starts to look really good to me. One, because he's a quarterback that has upside on his own. But then it's like, I have legitimately six options I can backdoor stack. And everyone has their own preferences. There's good people on the Paris Campbell and Wandell Robinson <laughs> side. But the point is, if we're trying to build a team to take down a tournament, leaning into that ambiguity. And if you hit on a guy who turns into or performs at a fifth or sixth round cost, you've built a team. That other early wide receiver drafters are trying to build by spending a fifth, sixth round pick, but you're also going to have feathered in there a really high upside running back because you got that wide receiver production late. And so this, it doesn't even have to be team specific. It can just be your own eval of, I feel really good about this wide receiver late. I feel so strongly that Devante Parker is going to be a top 24 wide receiver. Great. Now you can build a team knowing you have that. And this goes back to kind of reverse engineering your drafts. And I just think both the Chiefs and Giants are a bit of a cheat code for doing that this year.
1: Yeah,
0: and there's a couple things there that I want to parse out. One, in previous years, not last year, but we have seen some rosters that can perform well with like quantity over quality at wide receiver. If you're able to kind of hit on those later round mid-teens picks, it's becoming harder to do that because I think Those picks in general aren't as strong, but you're identifying specific situations where those picks are strong. And then that ties into, again, Dan's study where even in these wide receiver heavy draft rooms, if at a certain point the wide receiver ADP is going to return to baseline, like you've kind of bypassed the run, you haven't taken wide receivers early, and you know you can get these Chiefs and Giants players around ADP. It's not like you're reaching a ton for them. And to your point too, there's so many of them too, that you have some outs. So you don't feel this pressure to take them, you know, too early in your drafts. Um, and just in general, I really like the idea of uh, thinking through a strategy with the specific players that you can take later. Like that's sort of, that's sometimes where I struggle. I know Herzig's really good at like identifying two V2s. Like I'm kind of looking at the pick. I wouldn't say in isolation, but I'm looking at the pick by itself relative, like draft capital and, and positional scarcity and stuff. And I sometimes fail to look at like the pick relative, like, what am I going to get later? Which is like, obviously huge. Cause if you can, as you said, kind of recreate it, like back the draft out, you can, you can run into a really dominant team if the draft breaks right for you.
2: That's what's, I think it's fun too, because a lot of times when I made that video too, people were pointing out like, okay, well, you can backdoor stack the Patriots or the Texans and stuff too. And it's not like that those guys couldn't hit or really outperform their value. But I do think some of these offenses that are actually explosive and have the talent and it's the ambiguity that's driving it down and really asking yourself, can this wildly outperform ADP? Because sometimes if you are too casual with it, you will end up with a ton of new England backdoor stacks or Houston backdoor stacks because you were, you know, faking too many other detours there. So you also want to be careful that it doesn't become too much of a safety net and yeah. you're still being kind of purposeful with how you do it. But uh, go ahead, Dan.
1: Toss- something you can be very turn turn specific based on where you are in the draft board because something I've found a lot and you can tell if you're in a wide receiver heavy room like an underdog if you see it's like the badge brigade is out but if you're on that like one two turn I I mean I really like the running backs like Bijan Robinson and Tony Pollard and even Nick Chubb but in some drafts I've found like if I do like an AJ Brown and Bijan, or if I've done like a CD Lamb and like Nick Chubb or something, when I get back to that three-four turn, I feel like I'm really trying to play catch-up at wide receiver, where I'm looking at like Amari Cooper or Jerry Judy. And you can take sort of a reverse engineering approach where if you know you're in a wide receiver heavy room, maybe you can both be the avalanche and take two wide receivers, like take a CD Lamb and AJ Brown if that falls to you, or take. An Amon St. Brown and like a Devonte Adams, if that falls to you. And then right now in this specific draft window, you have a really nice opportunity to capitalize on falling running back values. Like we might see a pocket where Ramondre Stevenson starts falling to the 3-4 turn. And now you've put yourself in a position where now I have a CD Lamb Ramondre combo where someone else is having, let's say, a Bijan and Jerry Judy combo. So I think a lot of times when I'm thinking about wide receiver heavy rooms, it's what kinds of like two V2s can I pull off? And also, like, how can I do that in a way that still gives me the weekly upside in weeks 15, 16, and 17? Because so much of your expected value really comes in the finals so, like, maybe, like, I take a value on a wide receiver run on, like, Cam makers or something like that. Maybe that gives me a little bit of a regular season advancement boost, but I really want to make sure at the same time, like, layering in all of Pete's strategies, like, be the avalanche and then also be a Houdini at the same time. Like, can I reverse engineer my drafts to get that wide receiver firepower and then maybe also escape with a running back value without sacrificing those two v2s once you get to the playoff weeks
0: yeah i'm glad you brought up Mondre too because like another element in addition to zero rb doing so well this year wide receiver adp trending the way it has been just the last couple years is the running back holdouts and then like those are kind of like more of a systemic thing with like josh jacobs jonathan taylor now like depending on how your risk tolerance like you can Build some crazy upside teams if you think those guys are going to play. And then unique to this year, you've got the Brees Hall Dalvin Cook situation, the Ramondre Zeke situation, and it, it just enhances the wide receivers going earlier because people are afraid to take those specific running backs. So that's that's definitely another element to it. And I like your idea of like, well, you know, Nick, you know, Nick Chubb's slightly better pick here than Devonte Adams, but like, let me take a small loss here for a bigger win later so to speak um, it gets hard though when like you do that so much and I'm like, well, at what point do I just take B John Robinson? Like, and I yeah. stop doing the
2: reverse engineering. It's, it's interesting too. And I, I think one thing that dovetails with this to circle back to zero RB and, and one of the reasons zero RB has been so successful, like over the years in lots of different environments is just that simple dynamic of when there's injuries, when the chaos of the season kicks in, the running back position is going to benefit from a projection standpoint far, far more than any wide receivers. Like if Adam Thielen's out for the year, is Leone going to go tick up DJ Chark's um, target share? Probably a smidge, but it's not going to meaningfully move him out. If Miles Sanders is hurt for the year, Leone's going to probably go push Chuba Hubbard up to a projection that makes him a fifth, sixth round value. Like that's just how this works. And so when you think of those dynamics, I think that's why drafters are so willing to do it and why this is now such a unique problem because you basically have to say, are those running backs now projecting so much better than the wide receivers that it's now mitigated and offset that that projection boost from like contingent value but i still find myself in these tournaments saying it'll be much easier for me to hit on a Tyler Algier or a guy, a contingent play later and rocket that guy up into my lineup. than it will be to find a guy who can do what Jamar chase did in week 17, a couple of years ago and drop 50 points. It's so, so much harder to find that at the wide receiver position than it is the running back. And now is the question of, but how far till the scales tip back in that other direction?
0: Yeah. So this has been great. Really appreciate you guys coming on. Um, I don't know if you guys have anything else. I think we, we covered it pretty well, though. So I'm happy, happy with the way that went. I hope the listeners are happy. Make sure you check out, again, Dan's study of the Fantasy Data Pro's Best Ball Data Bowl. He also wrote an article about it over on SI.com. You can follow Dan on Twitter, at the Falcon with a K instead of a C. Uh, Peter Overset, you can find him, you know, his Peter Overset YouTube channel, also his Deposit Kingdom YouTube channel. Uh, Peter, anything else you got? lined up as we're in the, uh, the the crux of draft season here?
2: Yeah, no, I would just say again, for the, uh, the data bowl, um, you know, we mentioned it's all available on GitHub. And there were some really incredible submissions. Um, and I know a lot of people, Leonie, to your credit, were, you know, very inspired by the manifesto this year that kind of like set the tone and the bar for kind of the quality of work that people now kind of expect from best ball data stuff. And I thought, Um, the team just put together some really incredible results and you can go through that. You know, if you're like me and you don't understand the coding element, you can look at the pretty graphs and read the takeaways and the conclusions. If you are in the weeds or wanting to learn stuff like Python and R and all of that good stuff, you can see their exact methodology, how they did it, how they manipulated the data. And so I think it's just really cool that it's all completely open source and you can go through and see literally what they
1: did at every step of the way
0: damn team python or team r
1: um i learned on python but team r just the visualization oh, oh, so i know we're losing a lot I of can't... good men out here well <laughs> the funny thing is i can't really write functions on r well i feel like i can write them much better on python but team r
0: all right. All right. We'll leave on that sour note. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. Again, yeah, check out Dan and Peter's work. Also, check out all my stuff over on Establish the Run. We'll continue to have a bunch of episodes over the next couple weeks. weeks. Um, probably start moving a little bit more into the Redraft Managed Streets. Thanks for tuning in, everybody.